Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Alpoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 60 of Theater Forward, which we are celebrating by recording it live in person. Very strange and very wonderful mm-hmm. to be actually sitting across the table from both of you for this. And in this episode, we are going to talk about our experiences as, as producers and also as audience members during this strange interim time that we're in right now as theaters begin to perform again for live audiences, but streaming is still very much a big part of how work is being shared. Everything feels different right now, and we wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It goes right down to, I mean, you're not seeing this, folks, but the, um, the blankety-blank-eating grins on all three of our faces <laughs> as we sit around this, this very small table is, it, it's a microcosm, I think, of the kinds of things we're all feeling right now. It just feels great. Yay, science. <laughs> Yay, science. <laughs> Yay, science. And, you know, as, as listeners to the podcast know from our past couple of episodes, you know, we're, we're having this conversation in the context of having just closed the final production of our 2020 to 2021 season, which was our biannual monologue festival, which we performed live in front of audiences, five performances over a week, long weekend. Uh, we did film it, and a lot of people experienced it that way, but we produced for a live audience again, and so there were all kinds of uh, conversations and decisions that had to be made uh, in, in choosing to do it that way. That rapidly changed. Because when we were first talking about it, maybe we can get some audience. We had the capacity at almost like 30% and huge um, distance between uh, parties. Uh, We actually ended up then with um, one seat between each party, but we still required masks. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have to. Right. Um, So it is all exactly what we're talking about right now is how comfortable people are feeling. Um, I think, I think honestly, Mike, you and I are on the extreme of, of, I was saying two months into the pandemic, if somebody were to tell me I'd be okay and I could go to a live theater, I'd do it right now. I'd get in my car and go. And I know that that was not how you, you know, sat out the the pandemic and we all sat out the pandemic. So I didn't mean that pejoratively, but um, it's the hardest part is Listening to science is the easy part. Then it's the comfortability of people and mm-hmm. what, how, how we want to make people come back to the theater, but they have to feel good about it. And they have to feel that we are doing everything we can to make them safe. Yeah. yeah. And that means different things to different people. That yeah. to me is the hardest part right now. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, honestly, Julie, I've done a complete uh, you know, 180 on this from when it started. I can remember, we all remember that March, evil March day um, mm-hmm. in 2020 when things shut down. And I was in Chicago getting ready to go see a show that I was judging that night for the Jeff committee. And the Jeffs announced we're going to we're going to suspend judging. And I was raising, holy hell, you know, you can't do that. You know what? People make their own decision. It was exactly the sort of argument that, you know, that we had that day that would play out over the months to come. But it was hard not to, for me, 
just evolve on mm-hmm. this as I saw the, the 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 big difference that it made when people were wearing masks, and then now the difference that it makes when people are vaccinated. So yeah, I went from a person who, like you, would do anything, go anywhere to make sure I could see something to somebody who's being um, a lot more careful. And I think, again, that goes to, it goes to your issue. If people are in different places on this, you know, do we sort of say, well, we're going to try and find something in the middle? Or do we try to say, look, we want an injury to one is an injury to all. We want to serve the, the those of our constituents who are most concerned and maybe with good reason and try and do something which which everybody can accommodate themselves around, but which will make those people comfortable. And yeah, I asked that in a loaded way, but it's a real question and a right. real issue. Well, it, it felt like a relatively easy decision process for, for this monologue festival, our first one back. Um, restrictions in, in our county and state had been completely lifted. We knew we weren't going to have a, a, a sort of free-for-all, though. We've been much more cautious than that. We knew that for a lot of our audience, this would be their first real public um, indoor outing for something like this. So we wanted there to be some safety measures that would just help people feel more safe uh, and be more safe. But, you know, this we're in a county with incredibly high vaccination rates, so we, we could feel pretty, pretty confident about the fact that we were keeping people safe. But we, right. we needed them. It, it wasn't just theater, part of the expression, but we, we needed them to feel safe. That's Im- important, too. And so um, having masks be mandated felt like a no-brainer to me. That's It's a relatively easy thing to do. We only had two patrons the entire festival who did a little eye roll when reminded <laughs> that they needed to be wearing a mask to come in. And even that, they they, they took with good humor and put their masks on. Um, so then it became a question about, do we have a capacity restriction or some spacing restrictions? And ultimately, because it's this festival is not in our in our main playhouse space. It's a much smaller auditorium, um, so we couldn't get all that many people in there to begin with. And we know that the ventilation in there is exceptional. And knowing that we were requiring masks, we ultimately decided to only require one seat between parties. It let us get, you know, close to almost seventy five percent capacity because we knew we were filming it. And if there was someone who, even with good ventilation, even with that little bit of distance, even with vaccinations and masks, wasn't comfortable, they could opt not to come and still have access to the show. But it's it's really something as we look ahead to opening our main stage season this September. I still don't know mm-hmm. what we'll be requiring uh, of our patrons. It feels too far away still. To make that decision. just as quickly as things are changing, yeah, I don't know. I mean, our show opens in September. Uh, by this time, we will ha- we would have had all things decided, and so a major component of what the audience, what we're going to require of the audience, um, has not been solidified. Yeah. I think it's interesting and and wonderful that Equity has come out now um, with their it's you know from July to September. Um, here are the things that you need to do if your entire cast, crew, designers, everybody is vaccinated. And they have lifted almost all of the restrictions as long as that. But but then we go on to, you know, audiences. Mm-hmm. To, and front of house. I and mean, all of ushers? that other about, stuff, you know, right? Um, I, yeah, I just, I, I really hope, and um, I mean, I realize this is a difficult 
um, difficult discussion for all theaters, including ours. And also, I also realize we don't have complete control over everything because mm-hmm. we're a tenant at the Overture Center, one of many. But I'm hoping we're still wearing masks in the mm-hmm. fall. I mean, I think that you're right. It's On the one hand, it's far away. You know, on the other hand, what you're seeing in terms of the numbers just doesn't look good. I mean, you know, we're, we're speaking right after July 4th, another new variant, this Lambda variant, which we're not sure vaccines are resistant to, is already in 30 countries. Um, Australia has just basically shut down again as of last week, most of its musicals and, and, and shows because of the spread of the Delta variant. Now in a country where a lot fewer people are vaccinated than in the United States. But what they do, because their contact tracing is so good, what they're finding with the Delta variant is they've been able to trace literally somebody just walking through a department store is causing outbreaks for other people. If that's true, and if we have people who, because they're not old enough to be vaccinated or medically are contraindicated, or if there's something else that doesn't allow them to be vaccinated, why wouldn't we this is me being rhetorical again, but this is how I feel. Why wouldn't we want to protect them by enjoining on people the fairly mild inconvenience of having to wear a mask? But it beca- I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate right now, Mike. <laughs> if I can go into Target and Walgreens and everywhere else with no mask and the people serving me don't have masks, but then I go into a theater th- that requires masks, it feels more restrictive. And does that then make people, I mean, as you said, Jen, we're interested in making sure that people are comfortable. If I'm doing all this stuff and then I come in and somebody hands me a mask, I'm not, that actually makes me less comfortable. I understand the science of it. I understand I'm doing the whole psychological. If I'm allowed to be free in all places, why is theater? Why is theater the one place where I have to wear a mask? Well, the solution, Julie, is to, <laughs> is to wear a mask in all these other places. You and you're now seeing in a place that's got a, a real population density issue, but L.A. County this week, or I guess last week, has come out with a recommendation that when you're inside, whether you're vaccinated or not, you wear a mask. And again, it's the injury to one is an injury to all, number one. Number two, it's the fact that there are other variants that we haven't even identified yet because genetic sequencing in this country is so poor that could be spreading something that could affect you. And and again, I come back to the same thing. If there's just one patron of ours that is uncomfortable, why wouldn't we want to honor that patron when the, when the discomfort for others is just having to wear a mask? And, and why should we hold ourselves to the standard that Target I'm... and Walmart? <laughs> <laughs> We're better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's really fascinating seeing companies around us here in Wisconsin, companies around the country, everybody's trying different strategies yes. to adapt to this. And um, I think it's just going to keep changing the information that we have. And um, But I, I will say uh, what we we haven't done here is surveyed our, our, our specific audience, in part because you know, up until at least this point, we've had very specific things that we had to require of our audience by the union. So it's, you know, I don't want to survey my audience about whether or not they want to wear masks if our union says, no, they're going to have to, right? Because then it's like, we're not actually asking you because we want your opinion. We're just asking you so you feel good about being asked. Um, And and even as I think about the fall and the fact that I don't know that the government is going to step in and make these requirements. I think these are decisions we are going to have to make. And Ultimately, I don't know that those decisions should be made based on people's feelings of comfort that week. I think, you know, we need to follow the best science that we have access to and the best 
advice uh, that we're learning from our colleagues who are trying this around the country and, you know, do what we do in our programming decisions and in our hiring decisions, mm-hmm. which is, is, is follow our, our best instincts, our best educated instincts for keeping people safe, number one, that being the number one priority, and then also making them feel comfortable, which is... I'd, I'd like to see, too. I totally agree with you, Jen. I'd like to see different rules for different um, areas. Of the I think, yeah, I think um, the rules of Dane County in Madison, Wisconsin, um, should be different than, you know, you, you uh, talked about L.A. We shouldn't have the same considerations or, or not necessarily. And I don't know how you do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how a union or, you know, a, a, we are all theater makers does... Does one theater have different rules than another? Mm-hmm. I, they should. Because I think they should. We have responsibilities to all of the people we employ, and we've mm-hmm. been very, very focused on on that during this last year, and, and equity playing a big role in the things we were required to do. But we are also rightly focused on the safety and health of the community that we serve and that right. we're a part of. And, and protecting everybody who comes into our theater, but then also the community around them. Mm-hmm. is imp- is important um it's it's something and what uh, I, I've, I've already spoken with both of you about this um but it's it's been a fascinating thing to watch over the last mm, six weeks or so because it really is only over the last six weeks or so that that a lot of companies around the country have started to return to some live right. performance mm-hmm. with live yep. audiences mm-hmm. yep um and Things have been changing very rapidly. What the government has mandated has changed. Now what the unions are mandating has changed. And I've seen so much um, in the sort of public dialogue, whether it be newspaper articles or social media discussions, sort of getting frustrated if a particular theater was still producing digitally and not performing live. you know, maybe I won't call out by name a certain theater critic in Chicago <laughs> who, who got really, really mad that, that they were still watching uh, streams from an empty theater. And this is like six weeks, eight weeks ago yeah. when other places were announcing live events. And, you know, our monologue festival was the first live audience ticketed event in Overture Center since March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And for that giant facility to have staff back in the building, cleaning staff, box office staff, to figure out how they were going to seat patrons. If we're doing distancing, what's going to be our mechanism for that? How are we giving, do people have physical tickets or not? Do they have physical playbills or not? I mean, there were so many logistics to get that building reopened. And I think there's this misconception that we can turn on a dime right. and we can't facilities take time unions take time production i mean developing a production to be filmed is very different from developing a production to be seen by a live audience and that's a whole nother conversation as we look to like the season ahead when we plan to perform live but also film it for those who aren't yet comfortable coming back um all of those things take tremendous planning if you're going to do it right and mm-hmm. in a way that respects your artists and respects your audience and keeps people safe and so i've been really frustrated by some people's frustration <laughs> that we that we that you can't turn an ocean liner around in, a, in an instant right. um and i think that uh, a little more understanding of that would be helpful because even now there are companies i know that are not yet ready 
to have a live audience. And there are so many factors that go into that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you look at Chicago. I mean, you know, the first opening um, that's going to be judged by the Jeff Committee is not until this weekend. And there are three total mm-hmm. in the entire month of July. Most companies in Chicago have announced, you know, they're, going, they're not going to go live until October or even November. Um, and that seems to be a trend. I mean, and it's for just the reason, Jen, that you're pointing out, is it takes time um, to ramp back up, you know, and what is a company supposed to do, as many companies have done right right up the road at Spring Green, an example, as an example of this, that very responsibly planned a season around people in bubbles. Maybe we're at a point right now where that's not quite as necessary um, with everybody vaccinated and with the new equity guidelines. But, you know, they can't turn that around. I mean, this has been something they've been planning uh, for, for six months or mm-hmm, more. Right. So that's just the way it is. I, yeah, I, I, I share your frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you both think? I mean, we haven't used the V word yet in this, <laughs> in this podcast, but in addition to masking, I mean, and this is brought up again um, by something that just happened last, was it last week or two weeks ago with the opening of Springsteen yeah. on Broadway mm-hmm. on the 24th, June 24th. Um, you know, and, and there were people protesting very funny article in the paper suggesting that most of them were not actually Springsteen fans and could not even name two songs, which is criminal of in and of itself. That's a whole different issue. But but you know they're saying they're saying you're segregating us by not allowing us to come in unless we're vaccinated. Springsteen's show was there was a requirement that you be vaccinated to even enter the theater, and with tickets at a face value of eight hundred fifty dollars a pop, that's a whole another issue. We won't get into that right now. You know. People are going to be careful that they that they are. Should theaters, public theaters, requiring vaccination as well as masking um, in its main seats? Oregon Shakespeare outside is requiring vaccination and masking outside. Should theaters, and this is outside theaters, I mean, should they be requiring vaccination? Other theaters are saying they won't. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have mixed feelings about it, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's and they're logistical. Um, I am fully vaccinated. Our staff is. We are requiring that every artist that we employ and every technician that we employ must be vaccinated and show proof of vaccination. Um, I And I'm partly spoiled, again, by living in a county with excellent vaccination rates. My biggest concern with requiring the audience to be vaccinated is logistics. How do we actually enforce that? Um, if Overture Center, for example, was doing that, um, it would be very easy to piggyback on their system. In some ways, it's easier for me to to say, we'll, we'll mandate masking because I can look at you and you're wearing a mask or you're not wearing a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, I tell you to put it on or leave the theater. Whereas um, proof of vaccination, we, I have a piece of cardboard in my wallet that says that I'm vaccinated and that I don't know. Yeah, it becomes. I, I, I'm totally with you. Julie. Julie says absolutely. They should all be vaccinated. Yes. Everybody should be vaccinated. Julie, the managing director of Forward Theater, says I don't know how. I don't you know do how to that. do that. And I don't. Most importantly, I don't know how you you say to someone, "No, you can't come in." You know, and who says that? And enforces that. And for enforces, you know, here are our rules. You have to go home. Our tickets aren't eight hundred and fifty dollars. We don't have, <laughs> which right. means we don't and, have the staff. And we to, would really like people to come in to enforce and, um, it. I don't know. You know, I'd hate for that to be like the security people at at Overture. That seems horrible and onerous and on and on. But um, I don't know how you enforce it. And and theoretically, I love it, but I I don't know how you enforce it. It's one of the reasons why we haven't made those decisions about 
all of the different protocols for the fall because we're really watching and seeing how things evolve. If there, right. if there does come up, if some sort of system is developed that allows us to, you know, relatively efficiently require vaccines for our audience, because again, we can provide them with a filmed version if they, mm-hmm. you know, don't want to come. I would be good with that. Um, yeah, I just, I, that's, it, it's logistics. Mm-hmm. In, in mm-hmm. theory, I support it 100%. But as the person heading the company with Julie and figuring out how we enforce it, I don't know how to do it in a way that is equitable and accurate and fair. I'm sure a way exists. I'm hoping someone else, in, you know, comes up with it and we can can piggyback on it. I'd also like to think in my in my ideal world, in my very optimistic view, that the people who enjoy theater and go and enjoy being in a dark room with a bunch of people next to them do get vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes and no, but, you know, yeah. we're, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier. We're in a situation where we're in a county with exceptionally high, right. I mean, last month, I know there was one one week where Dane County was the highest percentage of people vaccinated in the country in comparable sized counties. Mm-hmm. So the odds are that you're surrounded by mostly vaccinated people. And if we're also requiring masks, and we know because we went through all of this when we were producing with equity this spring, the ventilation in our theater is exceptionally good. Yeah, thanks. So if you Thankfully. combine that ex- that ventilation with requiring masks and knowing that most of the people around us are vaccinated, I I don't get overly anxious about it being a spreader event or mm-hmm. or you know if, if someone came who wasn't vaccinated, they would be much more at risk than anybody else right. in the space, at least with the current variants and the current science that we have. But that may change. Yeah. So do we think? Do we think we're going to continue the va- the masks? I'd love a time when we, you know, I mean, throw it, those up in the air too. We but will. I don't. But I mean, we're in, just in, not there yet. In yeah. classic American, you know, right. form, everybody tried to spike the football on the ten yard line, and we're not <laughs> actually in the end zone yet. Like the the pandemic isn't over. Right. And the thing is, we do know enough about the science that those of us who are fully vaccinated and are smart, like. I go out in public outdoors and I'm not wearing my mask. Mm-hmm. I come into the office, which is just those of us who work here, where I know that every single person in the space is fully vaccinated. I'm not wearing my mask here during the day. Right. But every store that I go into, I'm still wearing my mask because yeah, the too. pandemic's still out there. Yeah, we spike the, we're, we're spiking the ball on our own 10 yard line. I mean, right. as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it's like there's a long way to go. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I hope that we continue to require masks. I hope, and I, yes, this is not Forward's problem to solve all by itself, but we need mandatory vaccines in this country. We need vaccine passports. You know, we eliminated smallpox because we required yeah. vaccination. You know, you have no problem getting vaccinated to go to school. Well, some people do. Yeah. Most people don't. There's no problem with getting vaccinated uh, and to get on an airplane um, in some place or to get shots and things like that. I mean, it's something that we need to be thinking about more seriously. And again, another example from that Australia uh, situation I was talking about, one birthday party, something like 30 people were there. The only seven people that did not get COVID from the Delta variant were seven people, the seven people who were vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So it's about saving lives. And yes, it's inconvenient. And yes, it's going to be unpleasant. And we're also Wisconsin nice that we don't want to be Oscar Eustace standing outside in front (laughs) of the public theater saying, no, you cannot come in. Mm -hmm. Or Mike Daisy, who did the same thing in New York, or Bruce Springsteen, who did the same thing in New York. I get it. But if Oregon Shakes, which is also a place where everybody's very nice, is saying you have to be vaccinated, why can't we? And why shouldn't everybody? And it's about community. I mean, it's 
about. We care in this business about building community, which means we should care about all of the people mm -hmm. in our community. And we know, even if it's inconvenient, that it's safer. Yeah. We just do. Yeah. Um, should we talk about something pleasant with this like business about coming back? Like how, uh, you know, I wasn't there on opening night of the monologue festival. The two of you were, I know when I was there on the weekend, I couldn't even focus during the first few monologues. I'm sorry, those of you who were in them, because I was just so <laughs> giddy with what was it like? I mean, let's talk about the good stuff for a bit. It was pretty, <clears throat> it was pretty wonderful. You know, um, those who come to forward know that, that I, as artistic director, I never, take the stage at the beginning of the night. I, I come down at the end of the performance, I thank people for coming, I invite them to stay for a talk back when we have them. Um, for the Monologue Festival, we were not doing a talk back because that again is something we're, I, we will with the new equity guidelines be able to do that for the season upcoming, but we weren't doing it with the Monologue Festival. And I just felt like it was such a big deal, not, not so much for us, but for our audience to be back that for really the first time ever, I was, taking the stage to welcome people at the beginning of the evening um, and just thank them for being there and, and, and acknowledge this sort of celebratory return to being together. And we had a pretty amazing energy, all five performances from our audience, but opening night was mm -hmm. kind of overwhelming. Jen stepped on stage and she couldn't get a word in edgewise because people were standing up oh. and cheering. That's, that's where we're Goosebumps. We're, oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. It, it was wonderful. And I know, um, you know, small, small thing that um, most people, they take a playbill, they read it, they put it on their seat, or as they're leaving the theater, they put it in, their, in the box to recycle. I had to come into the office and make 150 more copies because everybody was taking their playbill home. And keeping it. And, you know, and, you know, as a memento or whatever they were doing, but... It was pretty fantastic. Well, and a word to the, I mean, this is, this is, I'm preaching to the choir in this room, especially when the person sitting across from me has boxes of playbills going back, you know, <laughs> decades and decades. But I am so excited that Forward was using a live playbill. And I really hope those of you out there who are listening will consider doing the same. I understand it's a cost and, and people are tight right now. And it's a logistical issue in terms of recycling programs. But my God, I mean, to have that memory with an art form that's so ephemeral to start with, and especially right now, to be able to hold on to that souvenir. I mean, I was certainly one of those people. All right, I confess, I swiped the second one on my way out the door. It's my first one was all crumpled. Well, I mean, I think you're, you're right. right. It's uh, There was a lot of talk about a year ago about whether printed playbills were done because we were still in a, in a place where people were wondering if they were actually a, a disease vector, you know, if we were risking transmitting COVID. And, and um, you know, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have probably predicted that we wouldn't be giving out playbills this year. Mm -hmm. But as that went away as a concern, um, people's love for it as a, as a souvenir, as a way to really focus on the information that you want during intermission, before the show starts, et cetera. Um, so I, I have a feeling that there may be more hybrid ones and there may be a few companies that, that jump right into digital only, but you know, for us, we'll be continuing to print them. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's, it's extraordinary to feel that live energy. And, you know, this whole past year and a half has been a process of every production we've done. We've had to learn new things. You know, what is the context? Oh, we're doing something that's sort of zoom like theater. Then we're doing something that's more filmmaking with green screens. And then we're, we're filming on a stage, but without an audience. We're filming on a stage in front of an audience. Then we're actually performing for an audience 
but we also have to film it. And so that's going to be a real thing that we're figuring out um, as we go into the season ahead, where our focus is on creating a good experience for the people in the room seeing it. But we also need to create a, a good captured version for the people who can't be there yet um, or just don't feel safe being there yet. And so figuring out, I mean, for the designers, for the lighting designers in particular and sound for everyone, what makes a good live performance doesn't always make for a good video capture. And figuring out how to, to sort of walk that tightrope between the two uh, is going to be, that that's our next big learning curve, I think. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. We will figure it out. I mean, just one pet peeve I have with the whole last year is the way in which people are talking about theater as if it went away. It never did. And mm-hmm. companies like this, and there are many others like, like Forward, continue to produce work, continue to keep that flame alive. I mean, our ghost light remained lit. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's that in and of itself, as we move forward into this next adventure, to me, is just, I'm so proud of that and so proud to be part of not just Forward, but the theater community in general for keeping things alive in this, in this crazy, crazy moment that we've been through. <laughs> Well, that is exactly where we're going to end this particular conversation, Mike. Thank you. Um, we will say that that is all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Jen Upoff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced as it has been produced during this whole year by the amazing Scott Hayden. With him and with all of you, you can be with us um, on Facebook and on Twitter. And as always, it's Theater Forward with theater spelled E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And please be sure to leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We're so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. Mm